Alright, very good morning, dear family in Christ. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Sovereign Lord, in this season of Christmas, help us to see and appreciate the events and the people who surrounded the Christ child, teaching us today through the same Holy Spirit who continues to inspire and empower. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The season of Christmas is upon us. One thing I love about the Christmas season is that I get to watch movies with my loved ones. And for me, the movie-watching experience isn't just about action or special effects. I watch movies because of the story, the characters, the plot. Now, if I mention the name Stephen Grant Rogers, those of you who watch movies will recognize him as a main character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, a hero by the name of Captain America. If I mention Samuel Thomas Wilson, it might take you a little more time to recognize him as Sam Wilson or Falcon, Captain America's associate and a side character in the story. Now, if I mention Margaret Elizabeth Carter, I think only the truest Marvel movie fans will recognize her. She is known as Peggy Carter, the side character with whom Captain America develops a romance with. Every good story contains a host of characters. While the main character receives the focus of our attention, it is often the side characters who provide important details. The side characters will develop and flesh out the main character. We have just celebrated Christmas and reflected over the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the main character of the Gospel story. And now, in chapter 2 of Luke's Gospel, we turn to the side characters of Jesus' story. We want to observe what they did and listen to what they say, because their inclusion in the Gospel narrative is important in establishing Jesus' character. They also teach us valuable lessons as we enter 2020. In our time together, we will encounter three sets of side characters, the Holy Family, Mary and Joseph, Simeon, an old man keeping vigil for the appearance of the Messiah, and Anna, a widowed prophetess in the temple. Let's dive into the text. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him out to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. It is very easy to gloss over the intricate details that Luke has provided for us in this text. I want to spend a little time this morning to recap the background of Luke's gospel to give us some context. Now we all know that every document is written for a purpose, and a writer's job is to use key phrases and ideas to develop a theme over the course of the story to make a point. What is interesting about Luke's gospel 
is that he makes very deliberate effort to explain religious observances. When you're back home, uh, take a highlighter or a pencil and just mark out every time Luke uses phrases like according to the law or as it is written in the law or each time a ritual is elaborated. You will observe that Luke is painting the picture of lawfulness versus lawlessness. Jesus, the outsider to the current religious system, perfectly fulfills all requirements of the law. On the other hand, those in religious authority, those insiders who are in charge of Israel's observance of the law, they are in fact the lawless ones, failing to uphold what God had instructed them to do. So to summarize thematically, we have the outsider Jesus, who is the lawful one, and the insiders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, who are the lawless ones. This is important to realize because Mary and Joseph teach us an important lesson and my first point. As we look forward to 2020, let us continue to serve God no matter the cost. Mary and Joseph were scrupulous to fulfill all the requirements of the law for the Christ child and to obey every instruction of the Lord. Firstly, we need to realize that some time had passed between the circumcision and the presentation of Jesus uh, to the Lord at the temple. Mary abided by the Old Testament requirement of waiting for a period of 40 days after childbirth as prescribed in Leviticus 12. According to this Old Testament law, a woman was ritually unclean after childbirth and she was not permitted to enter the temple until a prescribed time had passed after which she could access the temple to offer sacrifice to make her ritually clean again. Secondly, we need to realize that the presentation of Jesus at the temple was in fulfillment of another Old Testament practice of submitting the firstborn male to the Lord. This was in commemoration of the Passover in Exodus. This presentation was ritually significant in Jewish family life, which in essence saw the mother relinquishing her rights to the firstborn son. And finally, there is the sacrifice that Mary and Joseph made, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Let's pause a bit here. The usual sacrifice was either a lamb or a goat. However, if a family was so impoverished that they could not afford a lamb or a goat, the law gave them the permission to offer instead a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. These were dirt cheap by comparison. I'm sure if Mary and Joseph could offer a lamb or a goat, they would have, but they didn't. Out of their poverty, they made a sacrifice. So many things to do to fulfill the law. So many things indeed. Mary could have thrown her hands in the air and she could be exasperated and said, so troublesome for crying out loud, I'm the mother of God. If anyone could apply for exemptions, surely that would be me. Now we Singaporeans are very good at trying to apply for exemptions, aren't we? If we know our friend is a manager in a company that we are trying to apply and work for, we'll try to ask him to pull some strings so that we can, he can make the interview process a little easier, a little smoother. If we know someone who works in an online shopping platform like Lazada or Shopee, we are very quick to ask for the full details of the mystery box. 
just so that you know when when the shop when the mystery box is going to be revealed, what's inside the mystery box, just so that we don't have to be in the dark like every other shopper on the day of the sale. We think that just because we are related to people who can grant exemptions, we are entitled to them. If we're not careful, this exemption mentality can creep into our spiritual life too. Another worship practice for the same four songs that we've done a thousand times. I've got a lot going on in my life. Do I really have to go for worship practice? Another church-wide cell group leaders meeting. We're just going to talk about the same things over and over again. I've got a lot of things going on in my life. Do I really need to go? But did we not make a commitment to our ministries, to our ministry heads, to our pastor, that we will be there for worship practice, or dance rehearsal, or committee meetings, or church-wide cell leaders meetings? Are we in ministry for our own pleasure, our own entertainment? Do we serve when it's convenient and stop serving when it's not? Mary and Joseph were certainly not taking their responsibility to raise the Christ child lightly. No, they took it very seriously. So seriously that they serve out of their poverty, setting an example for us to follow. I believe that as they committed to obey what was right, the Holy Spirit manifested to give them spiritual, supernatural moments of encouragement in the form of Simeon and Anna. Let's explore who they are. My second point as we turn our attention to Simeon is this. As we look forward to 2020, let us continue to trust God no matter the assignment. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the rising and falling of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now, I've always been bugged by the mystery surrounding Simeon's identity. Just who exactly is this man? There's a tradition in the Eastern Orthodox Church that Simeon was one of the translators of the Septuagint. In those days, there were ethnic Jews who could not read the Old Testament scriptures in its original Hebrew language. And it was necessary for, uh, for people to have the Old Testament in the language of the day, which was Greek. It's kind of like me. I'm ethnic Chinese, but I cannot read Legend of the Condor Heroes unless it's translated to English. 
Legend has it that an angel appeared to Simeon as he struggled with a particular passage from Isaiah 7.14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And just as he was about to translate the word virgin to the more generic word woman, an angel appeared to him and said that he will not die until he had seen the Christ born of a virgin. That's a very nice story. But I've got a little I've got a bit of trouble committing to this because between translating the Septuagint and meeting Jesus, that would make Simeon about two hundred over years old. So this is one detail that we would have to concede to mystery, as this is the only appearance that Simeon makes in the gospel writings. But we can learn a few details about Simeon just based on Luke's account. Firstly, we know that he was a very old man, as verse 26 makes special mention that he will not see death before meeting Jesus. Secondly, you could say that he was entrusted with the ministry assignment of looking out for the Christ child. You can feel his sense of resolve as he surveyed the crowd in verse 27. And furthermore, as he praises God, he uses an interesting word. Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace. In the original Greek, this word has military connotations. Now think of a soldier who has fulfilled, completed his mission, and his commanding officer releases him from duty in an honorable discharge. And what was Simeon's mission exactly? I believe Simeon was entrusted to identify the Christ child and to proclaim the words in verses 29 to 35 for all to hear, but especially for Mary and Joseph uh, as encouragement. But this was more than just encouragement. Simeon had a prophetic proclamation which would have disturbed any good Jew in the temple that day. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and for your glory, and for glory to your people Israel. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. This is crystal clear that the scope of the Messiah's salvation would extend beyond the people of Israel. You see, the Jewish people at this point in time, had come to an understanding that the Messiah's work of salvation would primarily be for Israel, and that the rest of the world, when he comes, will experience the secondary benefits of salvation, kind of like second-class citizens. Simeon's prophetic words here reminded the Jewish people that this will not be so. The Gentiles, yes, those Gentile dogs, those Gentile pigs, those undeserving of God's favor, they were to experience salvation firsthand too. I'm glad that Simeon had the trust and obedience to proclaim these words. I'm sure that it would have troubled him too as he pondered about them. As the years went by, waiting for the Christ child in the dark corner of his mind, I imagine Simeon would have been thinking, I've been waiting a very long time. And I've got to say these words, these words. God, are you sure? God, are you sure? Simeon's position is familiar with a lot of us, isn't it? We wait on God to receive a ministry calling and a ministry assignment. We receive this assignment, but sometimes it's not a popular one. And if we're not careful, we're tempted to think that this ministry assignment is not worth it. My dear family, every ministry assignment, whether popular, unpopular, 
whether big or small, whether seen or unseen, it has impact in the kingdom of God. Many years ago, I served in Singapore Youth for Christ in the performing arts ministry. And part of our outreach strategy was to teach music in schools. I got the chance and the opportunity to teach music in a secondary school. So my ministry assignment at the time was to teach four basic guitar chords to a group of guitar students so that they could perform the song Stand By Me. This was not a glamorous assignment at all. In fact, by the time we finished the lessons, they still couldn't play the song. I didn't think much of it, and I, years went by. And by happenstance, I found one of the boys who learned his first chord from me. And now he had become a full-grown man. We reconnected, and I met up with him for lunch to catch up. I learned that in the years since learning that first chord, he fell in love with playing the guitar and soon began serving in the worship ministry. He hasn't stopped progressing in his skill, and today he is one of the main music directors in his church. Just to clarify, I do not take credit for his current position. But what he said to me during our lunch continually reminds me to never underestimate the impact of any ministry assignment. And I quote, If not for your teaching me that first chord, I wouldn't have discovered my love for music and the desire to serve God through music. What ministry assignment has God entrusted you to do? Whether big or small, seen or unseen, popular or unpopular, glamorous or unglamorous, all that God requires us to do is to fulfill the assignment faithfully. He knows how all of this will fit in the bigger picture. You don't have to. You just have to trust Him. Ushering ministry, trust Him as you prepare the communion elements. Accounting stewards, trust Him as you count the bills and count the coins long after the service is over. Children's ministry, trust Him as you prepare the art and craft for the little ones. Just trust Him. We now have our last side character to explore, Anna the Prophetess, and have arrived at my third point. As we look forward to 2020, let us continue to love God no matter the circumstance. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. You know, another fascinating of Luke's gospel is that he gives special honor to women. He describes Anna with such flattering terms. Further on in the gospel, after Jesus' resurrection, it is not men, but women who discover the empty tomb. You see, for good storytelling, readers from the first century with patriarchal predispositions would expect that men will be the hero of the story. But Luke clearly subverts this cultural norm, and I encourage you to discover this literary trait on your own reading. Here we have Anna's flattering descriptions that give her much honor. So much honor that it's easy to miss the tragic circumstances surrounding her. 
the text does not dive too much into the details surrounding the social context of first century Palestine. Firstly, we need to realize that 12 to 14 year old girls were considered to be of marrying age, which could mean that Anna lost her husband when she was around 21 years old. Secondly, in a patriarchal society where there were very little opportunities for educational or economic advancement for women, this was more so for widows who stood a much higher chance of destitution after their husband's death. In fact, the Mosaic Law provided widows with economic security by allowing men to marry their brother's widow. It is clear from the text that she did not remarry, so how did she get by? In those days, the temple had a special place for widows. They would be housed in simple quarters in a building near the temple, and they would be employed by the temple to be its caretakers, entrusted with the upkeep of temple grounds. Those of us who worship in the blue building will remember our beloved Matting, who performed similar duties. The temple widows would be caretakers, but they would also participate in temple worship, just as Luke describes Anna doing. What I find so striking about Anna is her clear devotion to God and her undeniable passion. Verses 37 to 38 describe someone so wonderfully enraptured and captivated by the worship of God, she can barely contain it to those around her. They do not describe someone who had to go through the tragedy of losing a husband. They do not describe someone who spent the last 60 years as a widow. They do not describe someone who had no other means of livelihood except within the temple grounds. Anna shows us that tragedy need not be the defining endpoint in life. She demonstrates that the heart can be restored after being crushed. She demonstrates that the light of life can shine after the darkest of days have passed. She demonstrates that God can be found in the midst of the tragedy. Many of us here have weathered these storms of tragedy. Some of you are in the thick of it now. Some of you are bracing yourselves for it. Maybe you came here this morning feeling utterly devastated and cannot understand how Anna can be so joyful. Maybe you're dreading what 2020 will be as you prepare for the impending tragedy. I dare not not claim to be an experienced pastoral counsellor, but having been through tragedy on multiple occasions this year, I can personally testify that God has been and continues to be with me as I grieve, and as I struggle through moments of despair. I felt the supernatural hands of comfort cradle me. I felt the warmth of God's love pour into my heart as I surrendered my circumstances. My dear family, the simplest explanation as to why I can experience joy today is that I am filled with a sense of hope in the fullness of time Jesus will come again and he will set everything aright. On that day, we will come face to face not only with our Lord and Saviour, but also those whom we have lost to tragedy. And together, 
we will sing the song of perfection to worship our God. It's melody made sweet by such a glorious reunion. In conclusion, the year 2020 is just around the corner. Let us take the opportunity on this Sunday to thank God for all that he has done this year and renew our commitment to serve God no matter the cost, to trust God no matter the assignment, and to love God no matter the circumstance. May we learn to be as patient as our side characters were, for they too had to wait for the Christ as he grew into the man that he needed to be. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And just like the ending of a movie, where a sequel is expected, the next chapter of our lives is coming soon and shall continue in 2020. Let us enter into it, listening to the author and finisher of our faith. Come, let us pray. Sovereign Lord, you who authored the perfect plan of redemption, help us remember that you have authored our lives too. You know how our story continues in the upcoming year. May we put into practice what we have seen in Mary, Joseph, Simeon, and Anna. Dismiss us with your blessing that we may walk into 2020 knowing that we do not walk alone, but with you every step of the way. In the name of Jesus and all God's people say, Amen.